The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with another trailblazing innovator who comes to our show today to give an update on the work they're doing to advance the implementation of a secure, interoperable nationwide health information exchange. That's a mouthful. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Dave Castle, Director of Care Quality for the Sequoia Project. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much for making the time today. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. I have uh, about 18 years, I think, at this point in health IT. A significant portion of that on the EHR vendor side, where my particular specialty throughout my career was in launching new applications, new technologies. I did that with interoperability starting, I guess, about 11, 12 years ago now and specifically in the document exchange arena, and did some work implementing and rolling out the particular vendor-based network. And as the opportunity came up to extend that work as the director of care equality, I really take it out of that one platform, one vendor-specific realm and into the world of connecting the industry at large. I felt that was a great opportunity, and I took that about a year ago. Perfect. Well, as you know, Marianne Yeager was on our show right before Christmas, and she filled us in on the great work the Sequoia Project was doing in general. Could you take the next couple of minutes and give our audience a 10,000-foot overview of the care quality interoperability framework? Sure. The care quality interoperability framework is basically the required elements that are needed to allow near-universal connectivity across the boundaries of existing data exchange programs and platforms. So we're not attempting to set up a new data sharing network. We're instead trying to connect the existing data sharing networks. I often use the analogy of cell phone carriers, where when you buy a cell phone, your first step generally, if you don't have one already, is to subscribe to a calling plan from a particular carrier, whether that's Verizon, AT&T, what have you. Once you do that, though, you don't think about it from that point on other than just paying your bills, because when you pick up your phone, you call whoever you want. You don't have to worry about who their carrier is. We don't have that, unfortunately, today in health IT. We have some good work that's underway. I think more work sometimes than we get credit for in terms of connecting within communities. And by community here, I don't necessarily just mean geographic. I mean, whether it's, in many cases, it is geographically based. But there are also interoperability efforts that cover the client base of a particular vendor or some other stakeholder group, perhaps, that's come together on more of a national as opposed to regional basis. But you still don't have consistent systematic connectivity between and among the members of those varying networks. So what the care quality framework provides are 
what we call the three essential elements, the rules of the road, legally binding requirements that everyone can understand and know and trust that everyone else faces the same rights and obligations, a set of technical specifications. You do need to make sure that everyone's speaking the same language, obviously, and what we call the care quality directory. So you do need to have a mechanism by which you can make sense of all this possible connectivity. If all of a sudden every Athena Health client can connect to every Epic client, can connect to every Clinical Works client, can connect to every member of HIE's X, Y, and Z, that's a lot of potential connectivity, and you need directory services to help make sense of that. Perfect. Dave, what organizations are involved in adopting the framework currently? Well, it's an interesting question, and it leads into... I think an area where there's sometimes confusion when it comes to initiatives like care equality, we have what we refer to as our membership. We refer to it that way because they are our members. They're corporate members of the initiative, and they provide the core of our support. That is distinct from those who are actually signing up to be the implementers, as we call them. And there can be a little bit of confusion on that regard. The implementers are those who actually sign onto that legal framework agree to get their customers or participants, members, however they characterize them, also enroll in that legal framework and then participate in exchange activities. So from the implementer perspective, we've relatively recently published the framework and put it out there for folks to adopt. And the first five implementers are Athena Health, eClinical Works, Epic, NextGen, and ShareScript. There's actually a sixth who has very recently signed the agreement, not fully finalized yet, but we'll be looking to publicize them and hopefully some others that are under discussion as well pretty soon here. Awesome. Other organizations, Dave, that you mentioned are vendors. Are you targeting the framework toward vendors or is that just a coincidence? It's largely a coincidence. It's not inherently targeted towards vendors. I think that it has some appeal for vendors because it allows them to provide a service directly to their clients. A number of vendors have developed networks for their customers to connect to one another, but they don't have the wherewithal or the willingness to, on their own, be responsible for that legal framework that would allow them to connect those networks to other networks. And that's what Care Equality provides. So I think that has some appeal there. But it's definitely not a vendor initiative. We are an initiative of the entire industry. You can see that from our membership and our participation, especially those who assisted in the development of the framework. Very broad stakeholder input went into the the details there. And then I do expect other types of players to come on board. There are structural reasons in, in a few cases why there's a little bit of a lag in health information exchanges, for example, adopting the framework. I do expect that to occur. I have one verbal commitment, and I think there will be some others there as well. I think in the end, you'll see organizations like payers, possibly clearinghouses, others who see an opportunity just to provide services will be adopting the framework as implementers as well. Great. And that helps me understand what direction you're headed. What use cases are being tackled first? The first use case that's being tackled is what we call query-based document exchange. And it's that prototypical health information exchange use case where a need arises to have information about a patient, oftentimes because they're presenting for care, and you go out and retrieve that information from those who have it. 
Stepping back a little bit, the use case concept is an interesting one. It's fair to say that the primary product of care equality, if you will, the key to the framework is that governance structure. The fact that everyone is covered by these same well-known, well-understood rights and obligations and that they're legally binding on all the participants. Once you have that structure in place, you can sort of hang many different technical use cases off of it. We decided to lead with query-based document exchange for very pragmatic reasons. One, because it does provide a significant value, but also because it was already fairly widely deployed. And so we could demonstrate the real power of the framework in connecting these existing efforts that already had a fair amount of connectivity on the ground within the individual implementers already. Great. Is there a process then to determine what the next couple of use cases will be, or how will that all play out? Yeah, there is a process, and it's actually the same general process that we use to develop the framework and, for that matter, use in general to produce any work product of care quality or make any fundamental decisions. We are a consensus-based, broad-stakeholder organization with a couple layers to our governance. The ultimate governing body for care equality is called our steering committee. And it has, I believe, 14 members. And the members are tilted towards the members of the care equality initiative. There are a number of seats reserved for members, but there are also stakeholder seats that need to be filled. And we go outside of our membership to do that. We do not have to be a member, per se, of the initiative to participate in care equality activities, which is something that differentiates us a little bit. The steering committee, though, in order to be functional, needs to be relatively small, whereas the number of stakeholders and the number of viewpoints that we want to have in our process obviously are more than we can accommodate on a 14-person committee. So we also have what we call our advisory council, a much larger group fluctuated between 25 and 30 members at different times. But that body really allows us to bring in a lot of different stakeholders, a lot of different viewpoints, and everything we do any key policy decision, any work product that we're going to adopt, any prioritization decision gets bounced off that advisory council for their opinion before the steering committee ultimately makes a final decision, whether that's on use case prioritization or anything else that we're doing. We also have a potential third layer, depending on the work, of having formally chartered work groups as well that perhaps are developing part of an implementation guide or something along those lines. I was reading last week where a health blogger was comparing you to the Commonwealth Initiative. Is your work complementary or competitive to their work? We see it as complementary. I mentioned earlier that care equality really is about allowing connectivity between and among these existing data sharing programs and platforms. So we see Commonwealth as one of those that potentially could add care equality connectivity into its portfolio of services, if you will. So just as you might connect through your EHR vendor directly or through an HIE or perhaps through a payer or some other entity, you could connect into the care quality ecosystem, if you will, through Commonwealth. And generally speaking, for any initiative of those types, the, the data sharing networks, their success is our success. The more successful our implementers are, the more successful we're going to be because then the more connectivity there is in general. So it really is a complementary relationship as I see it. We're about three, four weeks away from a big party that all our friends go to every year. Uh, 42,000 of our closest friends <laughs> this year, it'll be in Las Vegas, called Hymns. 
Do you guys have plans for hymns? What are you going to do there? Yeah, we do have plans for hymns. We have a booth through the Sequoia Project. The Sequoia Project has a booth in cooperation with the Care Connectivity Consortium where Care Equality and the other Sequoia Project initiatives will be highlighted. I'll be doing a daily overview presentation on Care Equality each day of the conference show floor being open. We'll also be doing a daily demonstration from our early adopter group showing how the connectivity works in practice using their systems and their platforms. We're also going to be doing an education session on Thursday morning. You can certainly find the details. I believe it's at 8.30 Pacific. But I'll be moderating a panel from some of our early adopter groups. There will be a representative on the panel from Sutter Health in California, from HIE Texas, obviously from Texas, and also from NextGen Healthcare. Outstanding. What's next for Care Equality? What do you have coming later in 2016 that you're working on now? Yeah, we have basically two different areas of focus right now, one of which is rolling out the operational connectivity through the framework to those initial implementers, and that's in progress right now. We're hoping to have some connectivity in production by as early as the end of February. Otherwise, failing that, it's, it's a little bit cutting it close, especially, you know, you mentioned him. There's obviously a lot going on. We're all involved right now. We should have some connectivity to report by end of March would be my guess uh, if we don't hit the end of this month. So that's one area. The other area we're working on is expanding on that portfolio of use cases. We have the initial one that we're rolling out, but as valuable as query-based document exchange is, it's certainly not the be-all and end-all. We want to do more to support care coordination across organizations, the communication between care team members, the exchange of different types of content, such as images. So our steering committee has prioritized work on three main projects with a fourth that we'll be working on as time permits probably later in the year. But the initial ones are some additional work on automating the care quality directory services. And that's very important given the role that that directory plays. It's a relatively primitive process right now, and we're looking to tap into some existing standards development work to really improve that and automate it a little bit more. That's one project. Another is work on simple patient authorization. And what I mean by that is the ability to know, has a patient consented to his or her information being released? And how can I communicate the fact that I have the patient's permission in a way that you will accept as the holder of that information? That's an interesting project that we're starting to kick off the details actually next week as it happens. We'll be meeting with a small group to really scope out what our goals are there, exactly what approaches we want to take. And in all likelihood, we'll be proposing our advisory council and steering committee's review, a draft charter for a work group or two. The other project we're working on along those lines, easier to explain briefly, is extending the query-based document exchange, which is focused on CCD-type documents, to imaging content. All right. Dave, we're about to wrap it up for today, but before I let you go, where can people go to contact you and learn more about the care quality framework? There are a couple of places. One is certainly our website, www.carequality.org. You can also check us out on the Wikispaces, carequality.wikispaces.com, and you can join our Wikispace and get some access into in-progress work, see updates on 
what the different committees and work groups are doing, participate in comment threads and discussion there as well. So we'd certainly encourage folks to sign up for that access. But at a basic level, first place to go is our website. Perfect, Dave. It was so great to have you here today. Thanks for stopping by and sharing the great work you guys are doing. No problem, and thank you for the opportunity. All right, it's truly my pleasure. That wraps this broadcast on behalf of our guest, Dave Castle. I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.